Hello and welcome back to another episode of the football podcast that sums it all up. Hope you're all well and have managed to enjoy yourselves this weekend. Uh, before we get into today's podcast, a quick reminder that you can find every episode of That Sums It All Up on my Mixcloud page, as well as Fresh Air Radio's website. You can also access all the shows via my Twitter account, that's at AlfieSteiner1. In any case, we're not going to waffle too much today in this introduction. As we all know, Arsenal lost 2-0 in the North London derby to Tottenham on Sunday afternoon. Because of two first-half goals from, well, who else? Youngman Son and Harry Kane. Thomas Partey lasted 45 minutes or maybe 43, considering he spent the last two off the pitch. Arsenal crossed the ball more than ever before, and we are now sitting pretty in 15th position. Yes, 15th. And it could get even worse if Brighton win tonight and get a couple of goals, because we could be 16th before next weekend. And then we play Burnley, who are probably a, a place below us. So that's always fun to, to have a think about. But look, Joking aside, even though it's fast becoming pretty unjoke-like, we've got Johnny Rosen back onto the podcast today to discuss the game itself, and we will have a discussion about the game. As always, it's very easy, and I think it will, we're fast get moving into territory where the games almost become irrelevant, and it's more about the wider wider discussion and, and what's going wrong. But I think we, we will discuss the game and, and sort of see where the conversation leads us. But yes, hello there, Johnny. Welcome back to the podcast. How are we today? Afternoon, afternoon. Besides the obvious of the result yesterday, I'm not too bad. Trying to focus more on what was a great fantasy week and a terrible Arsenal week, really, because well, do, I can't do, do, too much thought to Arsenal at the moment. <laughs> I get very depressing very quickly, but we'll get on to that later, I'm sure. Just, just quickly then. Uh, so, good fancy week. Uh, that, that's nice. I, I feel like most, a lot of people had good fancy weeks this this week. Yeah, I think all the kind of big, big hitters assets all pulled through. De Bruyne, Salah. Obviously, we know about Son and Kane. Fernandez came off the bench and got an assist. Sterling bonus points. Sterling, Vardy scored. Yeah, everyone did. Did well, all the premium assets did well. Well, other than Aubameyang, obviously. <laughs> well, I don't know if anyone owns him premium, now. I don't know what they premium asset anymore, to be honest. I mean, yeah. aside from the fact that we're paying them 300 grand a week. But look, um, did you, how was your weekend just before we get into it? Uh, did you get out to anything in particular or or not really? Not not really. What did I, this weekend feels like it was ages ago already. I just, a bit of work. I watched quite a lot of football actually. Probably mm. more so than usual. Uh, that was it. What about you? Yeah, it was again quite football orientated, to be honest. Uh, watched like half of each of the the early games on Saturday, so the Everton game and the City game, and got caught in in a in a horrible storm. Actually, I took myself out on a run, sort of about two o'clock on Saturday, and had about 20 minutes of hail in my face, which was quite nice. Very refreshing. And yeah, then watch United come back on Saturday. Classic, classic United really at this moment in time. So yeah, a lot of football watching. Uh, yeah, that was it really. And then obviously fin- finished it, summed it all up at the end with uh, with a lovely with a lovely North London derby loss. So that was nice, I guess. But look, 
I think we, we don't have much time for niceties. Let's let, let's let's get straight into the nitty gritty. So the nuts and bolts, the meat and drink of the conversation, as uh, as Arsblog might say. Uh, so look, this conversation, unfortunately, is quite predictable. I think going into the North London derby, there's all the the sort of classic North London derby narrative. Oh, form goes out the window. You know, it can be anyone's game, and to an extent, I, I can see that and I agree. And, and don't get me wrong, I was one of those fans who certainly started to feel more optimistic as as we got closer. And I thought, oh, well, you know, if Thomas Party's fit and, oh, you know, like maybe this is the perfect game for us and th- who knows what will happen. So having said all of that, to be saying that we lost 2-0 to Spurs in the most predictable, classic way possible with Son and Kane scoring, both assisting each other, Mourinho you know, getting the goals early on, us dominating possession, which to be fair, I wasn't sure we would do. But again, in hindsight, it just looks like that was just exactly what Mourinho set Tottenham up to do. They let us have the ball in the second half. But I just, I remember thinking, and and maybe this is, this is, this is just a case of a, of a hopeless, optimistic Arsenal fan. But, you know, there was one point when I think Gary Neville said it as well in the commentary. He said, yeah, Arsenal have got quite a strong side up out there on paper I mean for a second it looks like wow like why 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 don't we have a go why don't we have the why don't I have the confidence in this team to to do something and we started well enough and then and then you know just went downhill but yeah just any general thoughts that that you need to get off your chest just before we get into talking about sort of going in a chronological order talking about the game and dissecting it a bit more I guess my general thought would be and this relates to kind of how I've been thinking about Arsenal last season. Obviously, Arteta came in just under a year ago, but it's kind of spanned this whole of the last two years. My thoughts about Arsenal have been, because you mentioned the squad, that this is a very mid-table squad. And lots of people, particularly those who aren't kind of Arsenal fans or even kind of Arsenal enthusiasts, maybe your average Arsenal fan, still thinks that on paper we've got good players we, we mm. really don't. Like, you take away five or six, you know, Arteta spoke about being five or six players away from, you know, having a proper uh, starting eleven that could compete for top four or challenge for the title. We're, we're really bang average. And I, I wrote a piece after the Wolves defeat and I kind of looked at how very few of our players would probably start for... Southampton or Wolves or Leicester or West Ham. I, I mean, I don't think ja- I don't think Xhaka or Sabayas get into any of those teams. Uh, I don't. Th- I, I could go through the whole squad. But I'm not going to. But that's my my overarching thoughts are, are kind of they they revolve around that. Mm, that's the what, what I'm kind of clinging to, and so I'm not on this kind of bashing Arteta bandwagon because. He needs he needs time. We need to be patient. And and as I tweeted after the game, we really, as a fan base, just need to adjust our aspirations accordingly for the next twelve to twenty four months. Mm. And I, you know, I'm I'm definitely I think like you. I think we do need to be more realistic and maybe readjust our our, our aspirations and and you know we've got a, a real kick in the teeth over the last month or so in terms of where this where this team and where the where the squad and where the club is at really because i think as much as we can talk about on the pitch and the football which is really important and i do think there's an argument to suggest that 
that it does need to be slight marginally better than it is at the moment. But I don't think you can talk about what's happening on the pitch without inevitably bringing up what's been going off, what's been happening off the pitch for the last few years. But it's, um, I think it's a really difficult one for Arsenal fans and we, and we, we will get onto this later on in the podcast, but I think our, the complexion of our squad is, as you say, there are so many bang average players or below par players who are not fit to be playing for Arsenal. But then on the flip side, you have quite a few players who are, you know, on paper and, and maybe the whole on paper question is slightly irrelevant now, but there are players who you think are are pretty decent players, pretty experienced, you know, been there, done that. Good players have, have proven to be good players in the Premier League and the, in the Spanish League competing at, you know, Champions League level. So, why, and I can see why, it's even more difficult to sort of accept that Arsenal are perhaps a mediocre mid-table team because we've invested so heavily in certain players who at the moment, whether it's the system, whether it's their own individual form, are not living up to the billing. And so I think it's a really difficult one to try and square in your head where this Arsenal team should be at or where we expect them to be because... It's, it's you know, we have such an unbalanced squad and it's really difficult to to predict or, or to, to come to some sort of rational conclusion as to where this squad should be. Because I don't think people who are calling for drastic improvement, I don't think they're unreasonable to suggest that because the underlying stats and metrics are terrible. And I do think there's a certain extent to which you can say some of these players are, are capable of more. By the same token, it's been like this for quite a long time and... Maybe we just need to accept it. So, look, we'll get we'll get onto that. Um, but I just want to pick your brain quickly if we if we if we go all the way back. Uh, if you had any thoughts on the starting eleven and sort of how we lined up, how yeah, the back four and and certain personnel um, decisions. How, what did you make of it initially? Um. I was more interested, honestly, I was more interested in the Spurs lineup than I was in the Arsenal lineup. Mm. Um, obviously, Mourinho was playing his mind games before the game. I thought Ndombele kind of getting ill the day before the game was a blessing because the thought of him up against Xhaka was, was scaring me. Uh, the form he's been on is, looks like a, a completely different player to the one they signed last season. Our team was was as expected. I didn't, you know, obviously the big news was Party coming back into the lineup. I was, I was, I was kind of hoping he wasn't going to play because everything I've read about his injury suggests that he needed more time. And mm. from having watched him at Atletico Madrid and obviously having watched basically literally every minute he's played for Arsenal since he joined. He already, from the first minute, he wasn't moving the same way. And I think they mentioned it. Maybe it was James who mentioned it uh, on today's Ask blog, also said the same thing. It just looked like he wasn't moving as freely. He wasn't as dynamic. Having said that, I still think he was our best player in the first half up until the 43rd minute. But I, I, I hoped that Arteta would see the bigger picture with, with party. And obviously, it's very easy to get sucked into the derby. But this was one game and at the end of the day, you lose this game or you win this game, it's three points either way. But if Partey's now done his, his thigh or his hamstring and aggravated it and is now out for another two months, it's a much bigger loss than the three points we lost yesterday. 
And so, mm. you know, that that was my that was my biggest thought on the Arsenal lineup. Other than that, thought we'd maybe go back to a back three and Maitland-Niles would would play, but I'm not that surprised that he didn't go that way, especially seeing as Lacazette's done a fairly okay job playing in that that kind of 10 role. But yeah, yeah. Those, were, those were my thoughts. What were yours? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really that surprised. Part of me thought that he'd go to a more, you know, the more tr- tried and tested back three, which, again, it's a question of hindsight. And I, I trust the manager and I back the manager. So I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to say that he made the wrong decision because whatever decision he makes, I, I like to think that, you know, I support and I, 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 I'm not going to try and pick him apart for, for the decision he makes. But I do think, you know, again, we've got the benefit of hindsight playing and setting up in the way that we did played into Tottenham's hands, but maybe that's the only way he feels we could have played. And so, you know, I wasn't surprised with the back four. David Luiz not in the squad, so I presume he wasn't fit to be selected. So I I sort of thought Rob Holding would be, would start anyway. I I think, well, that's uh, maybe an issue there is, you know, if we're going to try and play with the ball, obviously David Luiz is a better option than Rob Holding, but maybe he didn't have that selection option available so I think you know holding is a better defender you know in the back three when we're sort of sitting back and and defending our box so that was a bit of an issue for me but maybe that wasn't a choice he had uh I was like a lot of Arsenal fans pretty relieved to see Partey starting against you know again in hindsight not the right decision he did as you say looked he was our best player but I think he was you know the the it was sort of quite telling wasn't it that he was our best player and the intensity of sort of what was he what he was expected to do what he was expected to do in that first half you could tell like he he just didn't have the legs on him he looked like he was overstretching having to run up and down the pitch with Xhaka especially next to him he's having to you know hold the midfield on his own and also hold Xhaka I, I sort of think well why not El Nenny but maybe again El Nenny's not fit um, maybe again he trusts Xhaka but I thought Xhaka again was a was a problem in this game and obviously that Partey decision looks to have backfired and I understand why Arteta chose him you know we heard throughout the week that Partey's been pushing and pushing to to play and and maybe he maybe he said he was fitter than he was but you know then who's to blame if that's that injury's been aggravated if we knew it wasn't quite healed and yeah, I suppose Lacazette played himself into the starting eleven with a great performance against Rapid Vienna. I, I didn't have a problem with Lacazette's performance really yesterday. I thought he actually looked quite good and more determined than or more sort of in the game and with in with a chance of making a positive contribution than a lot of them. He looked like he had some sort of belief and determination, which I couldn't really say for Willian. Not like he he's starting to unfortunately become you know, a bit, maybe he's becoming a bit of a scapegoat, but he's, he's sort of symbolic of this, of this malaise and, and not really doing anything. And, you know, it's, it's all part of the club narrative of like, what, where are we going as a club? Why is this guy playing? And obviously Aubameyang plays. And I liked initially the idea of Lacazette playing a bit closer to Aubameyang and it looked like they were both quite central. So it looked, you know, we were, we were clearly trying to set up in a way that we create more chances and, a few people would say we did with our with our lovely amount of crosses but look you know I think we can read into as much as we want in terms of the team selection but yeah 
it's when a team is not playing well, I don't know how much the team selection really matters because we can sort of, the takeaways from this game are not nothing new from from sort of what's been happening over the last few weeks. So, um, yeah, and the only thing was, you know, maybe I would have liked to have seen Reese Nelson on the bench, given that we don't have Nicola Pepe at the moment, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, I, I remember, I think we were talking a few weeks ago and I was saying after the... I think it was the Aston Villa game that Lacazette and Willian need to be dropped um, until further notice and they need to play themselves back into contention. I think Lacazette to an extent did that, but I don't think Willian has done that, but maybe that's more of a, you know, because Pepe's out and he doesn't think Nelson's ready for a game like the North London derby. So I see it. I see why he selected the team that he did, but it didn't pay off. So look, I just want to ask you from a, if you're, if you're Spurs, and you look back on that first half, what, what do you make of, of the proceedings and, and sort of, yeah, how the first half went, really? I think if I'm Spurs, if I'm Mourinho, that first half plays out exactly how they want it to play out, which is we, we knew, everyone knows, going into a game against Mourinho's Tottenham this season, they've got, what, two world-class players in Son and Kane. Yeah. I'd say two of, I would say along with De Bruyne and then Mane and, and Salah, they're the top five attacking players in the league. Mm. Uh, definitely on current form. So the rest of their squad is set up to facilitate getting the best out of those two players. And as we saw, count, every game this season, we've seen it against Southampton, against Manchester United, happened against us. They set up, so they suck you in. Kane drops into the nine and a half hole. Son spins out and they're in on goal. And within 15 minutes, they were 1-0 up. And the one thing we didn't want to do was go 1-0 down early. You know, had we have gotten to half time, half an hour to go, and it's 0-0 and they have to come out their shell, shell because there's fans back and there's going to be pressure on them to win a North London derby at home. They're top of the league. They can't take a draw like we can. It's not as good a point for them as it is for us. We would have hopefully been able to create more. And even if we were crossing it in the box, you know, 40, 50 times, however many times you crossed it, they might not have had six, seven, eight players back to defend it. But the first half really couldn't have gone any better from a Spurs perspective and probably couldn't have gone any worse from, from an Arsenal point of view. Uh, with the with the second goal summing it all up, um, and was to a T the kind of goal you expected us, as the kind of naive team we appear to be, to concede. Yeah, but, I, mean, that, I don't know what you thought, but it's something similar, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's there's. I don't think there's too much you can read into it. Uh, really, it's. I mean, the only sort of bone of contention I have with with our sort of first half is like as you say if we were if we knew exactly what Spurs were going to do and you don't want to go one nil down and you know how deadly uh, Son and Kane are at the moment on the transition and you also know how vulnerable we've looked on the transition over the last few weeks is there not more of a sort of incentive to to sit back and and force Spurs to you know they're at home we don't if Look, I, I'm all for being the protagonists, like 
you know, Arteta sort of said that he wants us to be eventually, but we've proven that we can't do that. We're not good at that. And we are quite good at sitting in and, you know, let Spurs have a go at sort of playing, you know, on the front foot. And then we sort of do, you know, try and do to them what they did to us. And I sort of don't, that's what I was sort of hoping for. And I know that sort of goes against again what a lot of a lot of fans and the sort of narrative at the moment's been about well I also need to do more going forward and it's not good enough sitting back and but I do think there's a time and a place to do it and I think you know we were sort of asking for it um yesterday and I think you can see in those those two goals you know we we started the game well like we like we you know I don't think we started the start the game well but you could tell straight away that we weren't going to create many ch- excellent chances and then you know uh Kane gets the ball plays Son through and you see Arteta on the timeline sideline going absolutely mental sort of he looked terrified like frantic sort of get to him get to him and then Son obviously you know hits a screamer and yes maybe I think Leno was in the wrong position but I don't think you can really take away too much from that goal it was a great strike and then the second goal you know similar sort of position on the transition again uh, I think I have more of an issue with the second goal because, you know, the whole, we'll talk about Thomas Partey sort of, I don't quite know what he was doing. Obviously he felt that he couldn't continue, but surely a man of his experience and playing under Diego Simeone, surely you go down or you 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 wait until the attack, you don't go off onto the sidelines. And I do think, you know, if that was someone like Willian or Granit Xhaka, I think the, the the sort of fallout after the game would be very, very different. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we're willing to maybe let that pass slightly. But, you know, to then see, even if Thomas Partey was on the pitch, you've still got a, an overload of about five on three. Just before the, far, you know, the halftime whistle. Xhaka, I don't know what he's doing up there. Um, and it's just too easy. And Kane obviously finishes finishes really well but at that point the game's won and, and that's it and we all knew it was going to happen or it was a distinct possibility that that would happen but we were not smart enough I don't think I don't think we were it's just really difficult to assess because I'm not Arteta's not stupid and you could tell by his reaction to both of those scenarios he was desperate for his players to get back into position but why weren't they sort of aware of that not proactive enough. It was too reactive. And I think we got punished for being too passive and not being smart enough uh, defensively. But look, we talked about the goals and I just wanted to ask you what you made of the Thomas Partey incident because it was a bit, it was just a bit bizarre, wasn't it? Seeing <laughs> what happened. It was, was so bizarre. Um, I actually, I was watching it and while the goal was breaking, I said I was watching the game with a friend and I was like, Partey's injured as I think it was LaCelso got the ball and turned and right in the bottom of the screen, you kind of saw him just start walking towards Arteta. And I was like, what's going on? Party's injured. Obviously, then the, the camera angle shift and it was the Bergvine, Son and Kane, and then LaCelso was on the ball. And then it was just Gabriel and holding back and Bellerin eventually got back. But I just, I think you're completely spot on when you say, had that been Xhaka? You know, the he he would probably have the higher security. The fallout would be so bad. Had that be Willian or 
even you know Bellerin or someone. Bellerin, it, yeah. It, it, I think I think really the only player in the squad who could get away with that is probably Party, maybe Tierney. Um, no one else has really got that sort of credit in the bank with Arsenal fans at the moment. Saka, maybe. Yeah, maybe Saka. But, but I mean, especially Party, he's come come back. He's looked like our, but he is our best player. I'll say that now without a shadow of a doubt. I think he's our best player. Better than mm. Bamiang, technically. He can run with the ball more. He obviously won't score the goals, but as an overall footballer, he's heads and shoulders our best midfielder and probably our best player. Mm. I don't know what he's thinking, though. Are you, whether you go down or even just whatever you do you don't do that surely yeah the worst option was just to walk off the pitch because you leave that gaping hole and even if he can't run which it it appeared like he genuinely couldn't run at least stand there and take up the space I don't think the Spurs players knew he was injured and maybe if Roselso sees party standing there he passes to Bergvine who's then got to go one-on-one against Gabriel which is harder than Son who's one-on-one against Holding which obviously is what happens and then mm. they score the goal. But look, I think I'm far more concerned about party's injury than I am of the repercussions about this, that goal. It was, it was naive. It was stupid. I, I would have expected him not to do that. Yeah. But look, if we, if it me, if he's out for two months, that's far worse for, from our, for our, for an Arsenal perspective. Absolutely. And I do think it's, it's a shame, actually, that you can definitely draw, you know, it's not a coincidence that this terrible form has coincided with Partey being out of the team. I think him coming in at the time that he did, sort of, it almost as if Arteta couldn't wait to start trying to, you know, change the formation. And I, I think it's clear that he's he had enough of that back five or realised that it was, yeah. you know, we'd sort of maximised the maximize the um the output of what we could get from that and he tried to start transitioning away and with Partey in midfield you know it didn't Leicester game was really unlucky I think at the end again it sort of played into their hands but you know it was a bit better and then we had the United game and that worked to the T and then Partey got injured in the first half against Villa and there were already signs that we weren't quite ready to do it clearly because Villa you know were were all over us in that first half but Without Thomas Partey, I think you know he's he's continued to try and develop this this new sort of style or or, or blueprint of playing, and it hasn't worked. And even with Partey, you know we had a half the first half with him against Villa, and then we had the first half with him against who we just played Spurs, and he was our best player. Even if he wasn't fit, you know, he wasn't fit in that first half. He pulled up literally, in, you know, within the first five minutes when he was pressing Emmy Martinez. Um, he still looked our best player and the same in, in this game as well. But yeah, clearly the, the, the setup is just not, is not working. And I, I, do, I do worry about the way in which we've tried to change the way we're playing because I understand that Arteta wants to wants to do what he wants to do and clearly he feels like the back four is the way to go and and you know even he maybe maybe the back four back five thing isn't even that relevant because as he said you know it's about the phase of play it doesn't matter what formation we start with because it's a five out of out of possession for with with possession whatever but you know to see all those positive sort of structural um, developments that that have become sort of 
you know, symbolic of Arsenal over the last six months, nine months since Arteta's come in. Yeah, I, I, I have not seen them over the last month in all our games against Villa, against Leeds, against um, Spurs. I just don't see the solidity. And if it is a case of sacrificing that clearly to get another body upfield or to try and get more crosses in the box, I mean, we haven't seen it sort of, we haven't reaped the rewards of that yet, but it is at what cost are we going to try and create more opportunities and the type of opportunities we are creating is another thing we can come on to. Um, it is, it does worry me that maybe we've, we've tried to jump the gun a bit and try and do too much clearly with, with a squad that, as you say, we know is not capable of it. Arteta knows it's not necessarily capable of it because, you know, there's a reason he went to the back three after Project Restart. He tried it against City, he tried it against Brighton, got beaten twice, right, we'll go to a back three. And now he's, you know, sort of tried to go back to a back four, I think, at the wrong time without the right personnel. And look, I I, I back him. I, I, I want him to do what he wants to do. But I think you do open yourself up to criticism and justifiable criticism when you don't get the results and we're not performing well. So is there anything you want to want to add to that um, before we try and see if there's any positives we can take from the performance in general? Um, no, I would agree with you. Um, about jumping jumping the gun too early, about going to a back four. I think it's obvious. I think two things are obvious. The first thing is about it's obvious that Arteta is fully aware of the flaws and the ceiling that this squad has. He's made it known to the press. He's he constantly says we we need goals from midfield we you know it's what he sees as an integral element of being a good midfielder is the ability to score goals he he knows where our strikers aren't playing well I, I he's spoken about needing a right-sided left back we know we know we needed a left-sided center back and he's went and signed Gabriel who looks great and so we definitely I you know, I know that he knows where we need to improve it's just a matter of getting there and that's going to take three or four transfer windows. And so it's then in between now and then, do we stick with this back four that he's now moved to, or do we go back to a back five? And the issue with what he's done by initially going to the four from the five is he's abandoned what looked like quite a strong principle of his, which was defensive solidity. And by abandoning that, he's, as kind of Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast said, he's kind of gone into the Arsenal washing machine. Mm. And it's very hard to get out of that because he gets tossed up and jumbled and turned about and he changes systems and he changes starting 11s. And it's what Emery did before he got fired. And I, I don't think we're at that level yet, but I actually don't, we're not that far off. But I think Arteta needs to make a statement really before Christmas over the next kind of three, four games. You've got the intense mm. Christmas period coming up. Starts with Burnley at home on the weekend and need some sort of solidity and um, kind of consistency through that period where we can mm. go back. It's, it's, it sounds stupid saying already going back to basics, but it seems as well as that that's what we need we're 
we're a basic football team at the moment, I mm. think. And I think our players are. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I agree with all of that. And look, there is... I was trying as hard as I might to try and take some positives from the game. And, you know, I think, well, what have Spurs done in the last couple of weeks? Well, they kept two clean sheets against City and Chelsea, arguably two of the top four sides in the league at the moment. Beaten City sort of pretty comfortably. I know City sort of dominated and were perhaps a better team than we were, but that's because they are one, but they still didn't manage to score against Spurs. Chelsea didn't manage to score against Spurs. They perhaps were more cautious in their approach, which, you know, is testament to sort of how dangerous and also predictable uh, Mourinho's Tottenham side are. You know, we have, you know, we dominated the ball, but if you're not creating from that, what's the point? In a way, us dominating the ball I don't even know if we can sort of be the active people, you know, when we're not the active force in that Mourinho was letting us dominate the ball. So are they yeah. in turn Spurs are basically dominating us? I don't buy into this sort of people are saying, oh, we played really well because we had 70% possession. We, we only no. had 70% possession because Spurs didn't want the ball. Well, I would exactly. have rather them have 70% possession and the game ends in a draw or we nick a victory. We, it, we played completely into their hands in every sense. And is that not quite a disheartening reality to, I mean, you, you, the thing is you can look at Jose Mourinho and for all his, you know, for all the feelings and, and opinions everyone has of him, he generally sticks to his principles. And a lot of the time that runs him into trouble at the end of the road, but you know, he's, he's stuck to it this first year and now, you know, no one's really criticising him when the results are the results are coming through and maybe that's a testament to his experience, but he's stuck to this, you know, conceding possession, relying on it, playing to his team's strengths on the transition, you know, giving the keys to Son and Kane and they're delivering. And then you look at where Arsenal are at the moment and I don't want to compare Mourinho and Arteta because I still think Arteta's the right appointment and I will continue to back that, but he has not, stuck to the things that you know when the questions start coming and you know we start playing a bit you know we need to improve he he's sort of tried to rip it up a bit and and try something new and I think once you do that and it doesn't work then you're in trouble like you say you sort of start fumbling around and and Arteta is saying you know from what you're saying at the moment he, he he can acknowledge that we're not scoring enough goals but it doesn't look like he necessarily has the answers at the moment. Yeah. What I, I mean, what I would say to that is, I guess we all knew when Arteta became manager. Look, you, you look at Marie, Mourinho has been a coach for, for 20 years. Mm. Arteta hasn't even been a coach, a first team coach for 20 months. Well, a year and, even yet. <laughs> exactly. And so we knew mistakes were going to happen and I think Arteta yeah. made made big mistakes but they were mistakes and he'll learn from them until the wider issues around the club are addressed I'm talking about kind of stuff behind the scenes with the director of football mm. uh, the owners and that whole other tier of kind of existential off the pitch issues that as a club we have to deal with Mm. Looking at more on the field issues, 
Arteta will make mistakes, but I think but I do genuinely believe that Arteta also has the coaching brain and the football brain to be a brilliant, brilliant coach. Mm. And so we just need to support him when we can. And that's in the transfer market, getting the Deadwood out, getting Mustafi out, Xhaka out, Kalasnic. I mean, I can't believe these players actually play for what was or what is, but we were this great Arsenal football club. And not long ago, we had a team of at least near world-class players. And now it's like, I genuinely believe our squad is comparable to, to a Wolves or a Southampton or an Aston Villa. Mm. And I think until that changes, nothing's going to change. And really, all these w- wider issues that we speak about can only be, in- be addressed after the first issue, which is the playing staff changes. Yeah, yeah. And look, Arteta... I know that might seem extreme, by the way. No, 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 not not at all. I I think that's definitely a very, very valid, you know, no Arsenal fan is is, is not under the impression. It's very obvious that there needs to be a, a severe, severe like squad turnover and that will happen over the, you know, come the summer, all those names you mentioned will be out the door. Having said that, you know, a lot of them sort of are out the door already. The sort of what names that we're thinking of, they're not really part of the first team plans, which is also a bit of a bit of a concern. Like they're already sort of one foot out the door. And I know, you know, we need to then get them out the door and reinvest the, you know, the vast sums of money that we save on wages and all the rest of it. But, you know, this, this, as you say, this level of oversight from, from someone at executive level and we can go into that whole sort of off the pitch issue which you know is is massively feeds into what's going on right now absolutely because I do think Arteta sort of you know he came into the into the club and he stuck to his principles and he really did a a proper good deep thorough clean of what was going on or at least what we thought was a deep thorough clean but clearly you know the systemic issues at play and you know as a result of this sort of chaotic two, three-year period, the post-Venger cycle, the post-Venger washing machine, like you put earlier, he is now sort of suffering because of that and mistakes that he has made, no doubt. But I think it's really difficult to sort of come back from from that. And, and it does require, I think, a degree of patience from Arsenal fans, but also it requires, you know, that that, that, would, that would happen when fans are able to see a tangible sort of positive aspect of something happening on the pitch, which we did see um, previously with the likes of, you know, the big results, the FA Cup win, and it sort of got out the window. So was that a bit of false dawn? Do you think the FA Cup win? I don't don't know if we need to call it a a false dawn. Like, yes, we probably, it was, you know over over our our expectations but you know that's a cup run and we we are a cup team and I expect that to sort of continue you know we're going to compete on that sort of level but maybe we were so keen to sort of you know get behind the manager because we knew how vulnerable and terrible things had been but I also think you know maybe it's a mistake from the club perhaps to you know we've 
and I don't know, it's not the wrong decision to commit so heavily to Arteta, but, you know, he's now manager. He is now an intrinsic part of the club. He is the figurehead. This is a guy who hasn't been in the managerial job for even a year. And where's the oversight? Where's the, you know, I think to the summer and sort of the, the players we signed, the players we didn't let go. And you say at the time, well, you trust Arteta, like we trust Arteta. And we were all saying that, but, you know, when it comes down to it, fans shouldn't be listened to. You think of the decisions that could have been made in the summer. Um, you know, the Willian thing is obviously going to continue to be up for debate until he starts performing in a way that merits a, a three-year deal and a £200,000 a week contract. You think of the likes of Hector Bellerin, Maitland-Niles garnering a lot of interest sort of around Premier League Europe. Sort of probably that was Arteta's decision really to, to keep them around in the end. Is that proving, to, if, if we're backing the manager to that extent, is it healthy? Is it, is it, is it uh, taking into account the whole picture in, in terms of the club's best interest to allow someone to have that much of a say? And I think, look, if we're winning games, then yes, it is. But the reality is we're not playing well at the moment. So you do have to question the man who is making the decisions and those above who are facilitating that. Um, it's a, it's a difficult one because there is so much to sort of be worried about at the moment. And, you know, it's like, well, do we focus on what's going on on the pitch? Why is that happening? Is it because of Arteta? Is it because of executives, you know, sort of post Wenger, Emery, players underperforming? And I think it's all of that. But I think if we can, uh, I'll ask you now, sort of, you know, and we've touched upon a lot of it at the moment already, sort of what's most concerning for you. And you talked about Thomas Partey's injury and, and our already sort of arguably unhealthy dependence on him. And maybe that's just because he's a great player, but you know, as you say, our squad is incredibly um, imbalanced, un unbalanced, sorry, and we don't have the players to sort of align with maybe what the fans expect of of, of this team because of the likes of Aubameyang, who's shown himself to be a world class forward over the last few years in a in a in a very standard below average or average team who don't create the chances or the quality of chances that you know is sustainable for a player like Aubameyang to be able to you know, stuff at the age of 31. But does what about Aubameyang then? Just a word on him. Um, what do you make of the current the current uh, form that he's in and just the general, you know, there is a, unfortunately, there's a, there's a story building here, I think. I think with Aubameyang, he's just, he's, he, look, he's going through a very bad run of form, which isn't, it, it, it's not coincidental that, that that his first bad run of form in over two and a half years of being an Arsenal player or two and a half years being an Arsenal player, it's coincided with the club also being at its lowest point since he mm. joined Arsenal. I mean, even under the worst bit of Emery, we were never actually consistently kind of 15th or 16th in the league. I think we were always about 11th or 10th. And obviously it's feeding into each other. And if Aubameyang's on really good form, then the club will be higher in the league. And if the club and the players on the pitch are performing really well, then Aubameyang will be getting more chances. And it's not like he's missing one-on-ones or kind of, he's not missing, like it's not like he's getting a chance from six yards out and it's bouncing mm. off his shin over the mm. bar 
or he's missing a penalty when the pressure's on. I don't think he's he's not missing chances. He's he's actually performing to where his XG is, if you look mm. at the stats. The last two seasons, he's massively outperformed his XG, especially last season. And if you took his goals out of the Premier League side last season, we would have finished 15th or 14th. And I think if we do finish 15th or 14th this year, it will be... It won't be Aubameyang's fault. It will be the fact that this club has been solely dependent on one player to score goals. And you cannot do that if you want to be competing top six, top four. You need to have goals from all over the the place. And so Aubameyang, no matter how great he is, I think it's justifiable for a striker to go through a bad patch of form every once every three years, which is kind of what Aubameyang is on. I, you know, before this drought, mm-hmm. I think he'd gone four games was his longest run of games without scoring. I mean, that's it's ridiculous yeah. how good he was. So that, yeah. those were my thoughts. But no, I mean, you go. Yeah, I, I think about on Aubameyang, it is concerning, of course, because we've just committed you know, our short-term future to this guy. And I think it was the right decision, but yeah, definitely the right decision. Th- maybe, maybe it's not the right decision. If you are not going to, or you're unable to find a way of playing where you can get the best out of him. And I think, you know, Arteta to an extent managed that because, you know, he had that, that classic sort of blueprint of a goal where we'd switch the play, sort of play it out from the back and then find a Bamiyang and he'd sort of, you know, plant it into the top hand corner or something like that. But even then that's relying on a Bamiyang to sort of, you know, be in touch with his his world class sort of credentials. And it was very fine not, margins that goal. Yeah, very, very fine margins. And it relied on on precise sort of system like patterns of play. Mm-hmm. And when a Bamiyang that that sort of gets worked out and we 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 you know, uh, Bamiyang's not getting the ball anymore in that in those areas. Then he's sort of you know cast as a peripheral figure on the, on the touchline, not getting into the game. Now we've sort of moved him more centrally in a you know in, a, in an almost sort of desperate hack to try and get him more on the ball because that is sort of what needs to happen. But you know the chances he's getting are you know crosses and they yeah. are not a quality of chance where, like you say, he's it's not like he's a player uh, sort of devoid of confidence who when you know when the ball's in front of goal and he's six yards out he's stabbing it wide the quality of his chances which he gets sort of maybe once or twice a game are sort of chances that you know maybe previously you'd expect him to score because he's just been outperforming his sort of what's expected for so long now maybe for whatever reason he he can't do that or the quality of chance we're creating is 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 sort of different he's not a great header of the ball he and look, he, scored, he is. Def- he scored three headers for Arsenal, and I think yeah. he scored seventy. I think it's either 75, 76 goals he scored for Arsenal since he joined. Yeah. Three of those have been headers. Yeah, and so, and look, don't get me wrong. I think it's 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 a mutual thing. You know, the team aren't playing well. Aubameyang isn't playing well. Aubameyang isn't sort of outperforming his xG. The team aren't playing well, but you know, they're so much of it. I I don't I can't you can read into Aubameyang's sort of, you know, his head is is down. He's not looking lively in the box. He doesn't look 
like he's got that conviction, that sort of killer instinct, you know, that you sort of expect from a world-class striker, even when the tides are against you, you get any sort of chance, you finish it. I mean, that's sort of what we're what we're paying for, but maybe it's unrealistic to expect that from him. In which case, it just begs the question, sort of like, what what is the plan? We need to, if we're incapable of of creating chances that are sort of to to suit Aubameyang's strengths, then 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 what what's the plan? You know, and I don't think it's it's unreasonable to sort of look at Aubameyang and think, well, he's not getting the chances, and when he does, he snatches at them because he doesn't get any chances. It's like Lacazette when your whole forward line is underperforming. There's a reason for that, and you almost, you know, it's not like they're getting all these chances and, and missing left, right and centre. They're getting a few chances a game, which are really tough chances to take. And, you know, that's the reason we're, you know, one of the worst performing teams going forward in the whole country, let alone in the league. I mean, we uh, there was a stat on today's yeah, lovely stat, wasn't it? about how out of every team in the top four leagues, so the 92 teams, we've had the fewest amount of second half shots, mm. which I just couldn't believe, to be honest. But, but then isn't this, and, and sorry to jump and, in and there, I've got an, I've, Another funny stat is we've scored fewer goals than we've committed foul, foul throws. throws yeah. But um, look, I am all for, and, and, and maybe we'll move on from the Spurs game itself now, but I am all yeah. for giving Arteta time and I appreciate that we are not a good team going forward in certain aspects, but it does need to be a bit better than this, does it not? No, it, it does. It definitely does. The reason why I'm a firm believer of Aubameyang signing his contract was definitely the right thing is taking money out of the equation for a second and you look at just how integral he's become to bringing the, the young players through who we've pinned a lot of hopes on. He's, he, he's not an alienating figure at the training ground in the way, say, Alexis was, who very much kind of stuck to himself and I think pissed a lot of players off, actually, by the time he left. The Bamiyang, by all accounts, is really highly thought of across the board at the club. And keeping him, after, especially after the FA Cup win, keeping him at the club was definitely the right thing to do for all those reasons. Plus, I, I, he is a world-class striker. And yeah he's, yeah, he's on bad form at the moment, but we're, we're playing absolutely terribly. Like, as, as the stats say, as, say, as the underlying metrics say, we're pe- playing really badly and I think we should expect an improvement, but it needs to come, it needs to come from the team as well as just from him. And it's, it's, it's all good having a Bamiang playing through the middle, but when was mm. the last time he had a one-on-one? Mm. Well, when was, you know, when he was sort the last of had, time there he was... had that half one-on-one against Eric Dyer. I know that's not with the yeah, keeper. Yeah, Alderweireld put in a great Alderweireld as well. Look, and and just as you're saying that, can I? I I've just this thought sort of come into my head, and and I was one of those who was saying it's a no-brainer. You need a Bamiyang to sign. Um, and look again, this is with the benefit of hindsight, but yeah. you do think if we are saying at the moment that Arsenal have been a pretty poor attacking side for a long time now. The metrics have said so. It's quite obvious. We've relied on, you know, sort of individual brilliance in the form of Aubameyang and Lacazette previously to an extent, you know, when he was our player of the year. Yeah. If it was that obvious that 
we really needed to rebuild the attack and sort of change the way we're playing and, and give Arteta a chance to develop his sort of attacking identity. Where is the sort of oversight or the, the, the sort of, you know, the bigger picture view of, well, if we've been performing like this with the Bamiyang in the team, at some point, it's inevitably going to drop off. So is it, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to, to, to know whether it was discussed, whether Aubameyang's contract giving him an, a new deal was sort of, was it considered that maybe they wouldn't do that? And maybe it was because it took so long to do. But, you know, I, I can't help but think that given where we are now, is that not more of a reflection of sort of the, you know, this was maybe inevitably going to happen and could it have been prevented from maybe someone in the room and maybe we don't have that person and that will come, but someone there saying, right, if we've been performing in this way for the last three years and been relying on a Bamiyang to score all our goals and it's unsustainable, why do we expect him to, is it not smarter to try and change the way we play? Because at some point it's going to stop working and it looks to have stopped working and I do worry that, and I hope that it can it can change it can you know Arteta can change it around. But given how long-standing these these things have been going on, is it unrealistic to expect Arteta to be able to develop this you know new attacking identity with pretty much the same players that have been unable to do so in the last two three years? Um, and at which point then you really do need to. Qu- to question the the decisions, of course he's going to want Aubameyang to sign a new deal. Of course, of course he's maybe one going to bring in Willian because he's an experienced player and you know he's been there, done that, and he needs results. He knows that if he wants to sort of have this long term tenure at the club. But where is the person in the room who's going to be like, well, maybe we need to go a different direction? Is just what I'm thinking at the moment because of what what's going on on the pitch at the moment. I don't see the the long-term oversight that maybe is necessary. And I think maybe we're, we're going to pay the price for that. And I really hope Arteta does not pay the price for that, but we'll get onto it. Like where, where, where do we go next is, is the question. Um, do you have anything to add on that before I ask you sort of, you know, we, 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 before we finish up sort of, you know, face the reality of being 15th and, and heading into the Christmas period. Yeah, I, I mean, to add on that, I, I think if you're speaking about developing a new attacking strategy and a long term, there's, there's this constant sort of tension between balancing short term results and long term planning. Mm. And was signing a Bamiang, I think mean, William's a whole different thing that I cannot put on the level of a Bamiang because a Bamiang is, you know, has if this season flips and goes a different way and he ends up scoring 20, 25 goals this season, he's an Arsenal centurion. He's a club, I think in my mind, maybe a club legend who stayed with the club when we needed him and whatnot. And William is just the Chelsea reject who the signing hasn't worked out so far. But I think it's completely, as you say, it is completely unrealistic to expect Arteta to improve the squad to a substantial degree with the players he has at his disposal. And until until I see what happens in January, 
until I see next summer, which I I've pinpointed as a transformational window, mm. purely because it means those or Luis Socrates, Mustafi, probably Xhaka will all be going, if not anyone else. Just those five players going alone is nearly, I think it's nearly a million pounds a week in wages having those five off the off the wage book. I mean, Ozil mm. and ja- Ozil Mustafi alone is about half a million a week. Mm. And so let's see what happens then. And then and then I will judge Arteta's strategies. And I will, and if we're still yeah. a mid-table team, I'll be like, maybe let's move on. But I, I understand what you're saying about having somewhere in the room to question the decisions that were made. But the, the, the decisions weren't, those two decisions, especially the Bamiyang one, wasn't a bad decision. And so, uh, who, who would have questioned it? If you're, no, if, you're, I'm not, I'm not. if you're in the boardroom in July or August, just after we won the FA Cup, Aubameyang scored, what, five goals in three games at Wembley in the semi-final mm. final in Community Shield. Mm. Who's questioning whether he, he can continue to do it? He's, he was doing it. He is doing it up until two months ago the, the issues yeah. and everything behind him mm. yeah it's if very I, true no you, you're, you're quite right and I think you know this is this is the sort of discourse that comes from you know when we when we re-enter that inevitable what feels like an inevitable sort of return to this sort of really uncomfortable unresolved sort of mess of of, of you know unbalanced squad un sort of you know, just no sort of coherent identity as a club, as a as a team. And the only thing that I am, you know, what's sort of driving me to to think about these things is I am I am getting more concerned that look, we're we're 15th. And I I'm not too fussed about being 15th, especially at the moment. You know, it's 10 games in, which yeah, it's nearly a third of the season, but you know, the, the table's still compressed. But the reality yeah. is, if 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 as you say, you know, Arteta's in the in the washing machine, and he looks like he doesn't necessarily have the answer at the moment. We play Burnley next week at at the Emirates, and we've lost our last three um, there. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have it as a foregone conclusion that we, you know, what if we lose that game? But I do think it is coming to that point where you think, well, what do we need to consider? Sort of what happens if, you know. Come, relegation six-pointer. Or if we we come out of Christmas and look, there's not any easy games. And so if we are in this sort of position, you know, after the next five games, if we if we fail to win on our next five, I am all I believe that Arteta needs a few more windows. It's it's illogical to suggest that he doesn't, but yeah, have we almost sort of sealed our own fate? And look, I will something needs to give and will I just really I'm starting to worry that that the way that this club has been run and the sort of unbalanced unstructured unregulated decision making processes are going to see you know someone sort of pay the price and I really don't want it to be Arteta but at the end of the day he is the manager and he's been made manager let's not forget that he is he got his title upgraded to manager which I think you can also read into and I just worry that, you know, sort of this is 
this is about results at the end of the day. And I know I'm all for the long process, but if it doesn't get better and I don't necessarily see the signs of things getting better in the, in the short, in the short, short term. So come new year, we're sort of still in this malaise. How long can it go on for? And I do, I really like to think that Arteta is backed, but you know, it, it is worrying because it shows how fragile and, and unstructured and poorly the club's been run. The fact that Arteta sort of gets into this position and he has all these questions to answer because in a way you sort of want to be like, well, just let him do his thing. And he's a young coach and we can't judge him after a few windows. But given the sort of expenditure we've made on certain players and certain areas of the squad, it's very difficult to to do that, I think. Um, if, I, if I can jump in. Yeah, um, please. I think... With what you're saying about where we are come the new year and in five games' time, I, I don't think Arteta's job is in danger unless relegation. And I know it sounds funny, but look, we are 15th, so I guess we might as well speak about it. But unless that becomes you know, a really genuine possibility, and I, I think, you know, you say we're 15th, I look at the clubs that are below us, Brighton, Burnley, Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United... <laughs> But they, I mean, they all, I mean, Brighton aside, but Fulham, Burnley, Sheffield United and um, and West Brom look very, very bad. You know, they look like, I mean, Sheffield United have won. What are you saying? Are you saying we're safe because because these teams are definitely going down? Yeah, that that's basically <laughs> what I'm saying is I think the, they're so bad that we'll, we'll be safe. And I think because we're almost guaranteed to be safe, Arteta's job is is safe, and I actually think last season, going back to last season, we were tenth on the last day of the season, going into the last game. We yeah. shouldn't have finished eighth last season. Mm. That's a, that's a complete mockery of how well we played over the season. We should have finished tenth at best. Mm. You know, Sheffield United were so much better than us over the course of last season. The fact that they ended up finishing ninth and we finished eighth is ridiculous. I mean, we we were really bad. And the only reason we finished eighth last season is because when Arteta came in as manager, we had, as studies show, every manager that comes into a club, there's always a bounce. Mm. And yeah. there's kind of those first half dozen games, there's always an improvement. And yes, I know he he lost Arteta at home to Chelsea, but other than that, I think he was unbeaten in his first 10 Premier League games or nine Premier League games. No, oh, he did really and well. And that, that bounce. But what I'm saying is that wasn't Arteta. You could have put anyone in, you know, in regard, you know, it could have been, could have been Mourinho, it could have been Ancelotti, it could have been Allegri, it could have been Nuno from Wolves, Hasenhut, or any manager would have had that bounce. And it was that bounce, which is why we ended up kind of... So what, why is it then that... Eight. If, this if it season, could have been any manager. Can, this this season, I don't think we'll finish in the top half of the table. And I don't think Arteta will get fired for that. I think that's a fair reflection of how good we are in comparison to the rest of the Premier League. The I, I, I agree with that. But then I think the club have behaved in a way to suggest that they believe this manager is capable of delivering them a top four finish. There's no way you sign Thomas Partey or you sign Aubameyang to a 300 grand contract if you don't, if they don't think that this squad is capable. Do you not think? I, I, I think what those, 
moves in the transfer market have shown is they they're almost like placeholders in to the to the extent that they want to assert that Arsenal are still of the financial might and of the we're still a big club and we can we're showing we're still a big club because what can we do to show we're a big club well we can't kind of steamroll lesser teams like we were doing us after uh under Wenger and we we're not competing in the Champions League like we were doing under Wenger and we're actually we're we we won the FA Cup, so find that so that's kind of shows that we're we're still a big club. But other than that, what's the other thing we can do to kind of maintain our place in the big six? Well, we we've got more financial might than Southampton and Wolves and and uh, and West Ham and and Everton really and all these other mid-table clubs. We we can sign a world-class player like Party. We can keep a world-class striker like a Bamiang, and that's why I think mm. the Cronkies are making those moves. I, I don't think if Arteta, the Cronkies, Edu, Tim Lewis, if any of them actually analyse the squad of players we have and they compare and contrast that to all of the other teams in the Premier League, they can't say, oh, this is the fifth best squad in the league. Mm. Because then they're admitting they know nothing about football. And I think they must know something about football. Well, you'd, you'd hope, wouldn't you? And I think recently we sort of have become more more accepting of the idea that maybe there are a few people in place and positions that do have some degree of, of knowledge about the club and how things should be run. But look, as you say, this squad is, 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 not, is unbalanced and it needs a lot of work. But and just before we finish up, because I know, you, I know you've got to go, but... Um, Look, I, I, as you say, <laughs> I don't want to think about the prospects of relegation battle because I think it's unrealistic, but I don't think it's good enough. And I'm all for giving Arteta. I want Arteta to stay in. Good so if we are, you know, playing terribly and sort of <sighs> where we are now, sort of in, you know, a month or two, I find it very difficult to realistically say that I don't even know. I, I, what, I don't know what, what to say. What would you do? What would you do? You come out of, say we play, we play Chelsea on Boxing Day and say after we play Chelsea on Boxing Day, I think we're away. It's in four games time and we're, we're still 15th or we're 14th. You're going into mm. the new year. What would you, what would you do if you were in, you know, you were calling the shots? I, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything but- you can do. Who, but that's another. Who's calling the shots? Because you sort of say, well, Edu's, you know, the oversee, the oversight. But then all things go through the Cronkies. I don't think yeah. the Cronkies will. I, you know, the club have massively, as they say on the Arsenal, massively got into bed with Arteta, and yeah, you, I don't think they'll do anything. And I think that's probably the right call. But I do worry that you know there is a point, there is a barrier to be crossed where can go so wrong that mm. you then need to make a change. And I I worry that it, that could happen, but maybe that's no, just I, me worrying. I worry, I worry about that as well. I don't think Arteta was was the wrong wrong guy to get into bed with. However, mm. I think Edu may have been. And and as much as I like Edu, he's an invincible, he you know, he can be regarded as you know an Arsenal legend but, to an extent. But but it, it's becoming more and more clear that he's not a very good director of football. 
and maybe he, he's, you know, all the stuff to do with Keir Jarabchin and his influence at Arsenal. That wasn't Raus and Yehi, that was Edu. Well, let's just take a minute and think, well, who, who recruited Edu? Yeah. They're not there anymore, are they? And, you know, yeah. but then who recruited Arteta? And it's just like, where is that? And that will come, I think, over time, you know, a structure like... Liverpool, for example, hopefully where you have this oversight, you have a structure that can can oversee and and withstand the the, the sort of you know the the day to day pressures and realistic pressures of of sort of what Arsenal are going through at the moment. I think just what's going on at the moment, it's like well, who's answering? Who's culpable? Who's answering the questions? Who can who can heave us out of this? Because Arteta has done it already, and well, can he do it again? I don't think it's fair to ask him to, but he's the guy who's responsible for it, and I think the club also have you know, given him too much responsibility almost because I don't think he should be responsible for this. I think if anyone's sort of, you know, made culpable, I think there should be other people first before Arteta to to sort of, you know, feel the uh, the wrath of, of, of punishment, if you might. But um, look, all I think, just as we finish up now, I think regardless of where we finish, I think the, the, ne- the necessity, the thing we need to see in the next few weeks is performance is picking up the fans need something to sort of latch onto in the same way that we did when Arteta came in we saw the promising signs we need to see something otherwise it's very hard to sort of f- climb out of this slump and you know it becomes more and more inevitable that that things are going to sort of continue to to spiral out of control so um look Johnny unless you want anything to add, to add anything else before you shoot off um we'll finish it there for today it's been great to have you back on. And so thank you very much for your time. Well, As always, appreciate that massively. Um, so excellent. Well, look, you can find Johnny on Twitter at Johnny Rosen one and be sure to follow his football transfer news on Facebook page. It's football transfer news, isn't it? That's, that's the page on Facebook. Football transfer news. And then on Instagram, football transfer news underscore official. And then yep. I'm on Facebook also at all about Arsenal. Wonderful. Um, well. Anyone wants so, to give them. Follow. Do be sure to follow those pages. He wrote a great piece actually the other day that he mentioned about comparing us to, to other sort of clubs that we are on their level or worse at the moment. So look, um, we'll be back on the pod next week after the Burnley game. I'm really hoping that, well, it's a home game and it's 7.15 on Sky Sports. So it's, it's slightly worrying, but great omen. Uh, we'll be slightly more jolly, hopefully then. Do let us know if you enjoyed today's episode. All listens, shares and feedback are much appreciated. Drop me a tweet at one if you fancy it. As always, thanks for listening. Enjoy your week. And until next time, take care and goodbye.